This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 56. I am Patrick Moran. This was a fun Fun sports weekend. One of the more fun I can remember in quite a while, especially if you're a Buffalo sports fan, which quite obviously I am. On today's show, I'll be joined by my guy, Tone Pucks, for our recurring Pat with Pucks. Today is all about the Buffalo Bills' epic, stunning, dominating, ass-whooping of the heavily favored Minnesota Vikings A game that, considering the point spread before and the final margin after, is quite literally the biggest NFL upset in modern point spread history. That's not an opinion, by the way. That's a straight-up fact. We talk all about that game. We talk about Josh Allen becoming the guy that fans, maybe now they can pin their hopes on, that he can be the next great Buffalo quarterback, one we haven't had since Jim Kelly, frankly, He did it right in front of our very eyes on Sunday. That's not an exaggeration either, by the way. He was straight up that good against the Vikings. Let's be real here. And don't give me any J.P. Lossman, E.J. Manuel, Trent Edwards. Well, they looked great for one or two games at one time as well. You know what? Maybe they did, but they didn't look that good. Not to the extent that Josh Allen did on Sunday. Not even close, in fact. That was hopeful. That was just really really, really hopeful for Buffalo Bills fans and for the organization, of course, as well. We also talk about the comeback of a Buffalo Bills defense that looked dead as can be for two weeks. Man, they were monsters against Minnesota and against Kirk Cousins. They owned him. Don't look at the final stat line. Cousins had 296 yards. I'd be willing to bet 180 of those were in garbage time late in the fourth quarter when the Bills were in their prevent defense, whatever. The Bills' defense just had their way with Kirk Cousins. Point blank, just had their way with him. And speaking of comebacks, we talk about Tiger Woods winning the Tour Championship Sunday in a very emotional manner, what it means for him, and what we think it means for the sport of golf. We talk about the UB Bulls being 4-0 after absolutely decimating Rutgers. Rutgers' team, by the way, from the Big Ten on their own home turf. It was just an incredible game and an incredible day. For a team that, frankly, is starting to become really incredible in themselves, UB Bulls. We talk a little bit of Buffalo Sabres, a little MLB, including the surprising Atlanta Braves and the complete and utter rotting away of baseball's greatest player. I have a Pat's Top 10 list. I have the Pat Peeve of the Week. Tone Puck says his puck drop. All that and more. In fact, we're going to get after it right now. Let's get this podcast started. Here's Pat with Pucks. Pat with Pucks. Are you a big man? Pop! I'm talking to you. What? You wake up in the morning, you say, I put on my big boy pants. Look, I'm wearing a belt. I got big boy pants on. <laughs> oh my God, that is funny. Okay, do not worry. All of your questions are about to be answered. Cell phones and pagers off, please. Listen, we all expected the Buffalo Bills-Minnesota Vikings game to be one-sided and anticlimactic. Well, it was. 17-point underdogs this week and a laughing stock around the NFL after the first two weeks. The Bills going to Minnesota 
and they they violated the Vikings in their house. Was this one of the bigger Bills upsets for you or hell? Any upsets that you can remember recently? Like on a scale of one to 10, how stunned are you right now to be talking about this Bills game like we're about to? Jesus, man, we're, we're opening up with people getting violated. This, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm digging the direction of this show. Uh, scale of one to 10, I'm going to give it a nine just because of its, you know, lack of significance in terms of the big scheme of things. I mean, we're not talking about uh, Villanova over Georgetown, the Raleigh Mass, uh, Massimino Villanova. Um, you know, this is just a week three NFL game, and we've seen things like this happen. Uh, the cool thing is this week it, it happened uh, for us. And, um, you know, that uh, that shines a really good light on an organization that was a, a, a punchline last week. So, you know, real cool stuff. Well, we're obviously going to talk about the game and some players and such. But before that, I wanted to put this game in historical perspective with a few numbers. Because, again, like you said, yes, it only is one game. It's week three. I don't think it changes the big picture. And we'll talk big picture in a little while. But I did look up some numbers and it just blew me away. According to ESPN's FPI rankings, and to be fair, I don't have any clue what FPI even means, but whatever. The Bills had just a 9.2% chance of beating the Vikings, which made it the largest FPI upset since Tampa Bay beat the Saints in week 16 of 2009. And I got one more for you too. The Bills at 16 and a half point underdogs, because that's what the final line was in Vegas Sunday morning. They're the first team that was underdogs by more than two touchdowns to win an NFL game by more than a touchdown in the modern point spread history, which spans over 40 years. It had never happened before until now. Does that seem crazy to you or what? Absolutely. More so on the uh, on, on the 16 and a half. I'm not someone who's really come around yet to fully digest the FPI and other other sort of uh, yeah, I don't metrics know what that, that means. matter out there. I don't either. It's probably, I'm, I mean, I'm sure a lot of thought went into it. And I'm sure, um, you know, one day we'll, we'll probably understand it if it gets shoved down our throats enough. But for me, you know, it goes to the, to the 16 and a half mark. You don't see spreads like that anymore in, in, in the modern NFL era of, of salary cap. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a spread that you were accustomed to as a favorite during the, uh, you know, during the bills heyday of the nineties. It's just not one you see that much anymore. And you sure as shit don't see too many winners come out of it. It was a huge, huge story. It's probably more likely to happen earlier in the season than later in the season. Cause you know, you don't really know who a team is, but I think we, you know, there wasn't many people that w- was sipping Kool-Aid with, or, or it seemed like was sipping Kool-Aid on the bikes when they shouldn't have been. You know, this is a team that is built to contend for a championship. They did so last year and, you know, felt to have gotten better at the uh, most important position going into this year. Um, yeah, they had a couple guys out. I don't know that that really would have affected the line that much. And I don't know that it would have really affected the game that much. I I think complacency may have affected the game. Could people have accounted for that in terms of, you know, the, the betters and where this, where the money in this game uh, really was. Cause that's something I'd be interested to know uh, aside from the spread is where was the money, but it seemed to, to open around there and stay around there. So it was probably pretty even split. And it was a, an absolutely shocking result that um, that is getting the, tens- the attention it deserves, at least, you know, uh, uh, upon taping this week. Well, uh, dude, shit, man. If you remember, it was three weeks ago, we kind of did our season predictions on our podcast. I picked the Vikings to go to the Super Bowl. I had them against Jacksonville. They both lost yesterday, but sure. I mean, I'm stunned. But here's the thing. It is a stunner, but... Having said that, I'm not going to call this game a lucky win for the Bills. I mean, the Bills took the ball, the the opening kick, and goes 75 yards over what I think was nine plays. Josh Allen ends up scoring from the 10-yard line. Beautiful run to the left, and he dove for the pylon. I mean, yeah, they took advantage of two really stupid Viking penalties. One of them, I believe, was was it a late hit or something, or hands in the face when the Bills would have went three and out. But whatever. 
They made a mistake, and the Bills capitalized. They go up 7 nothing, man. They wrestled control of this game away from the Vikings right away on that first drive, and they never looked back. Yeah, that, that penalty was huge. It was the uh, it was the second uh, would-be uh, sacker coming in that went helmet-to-helmet yeah. on, uh, on Allen, and the, the guy really didn't do anything dirty. The guy, I think it was Linville Joseph, the guy probably just isn't used to his helmet being at the same level of, of a, as a quarterback's helmet. Yeah, you know, with, five, the, right. with with the way the you know Allen size, and that I'm I'm a believer that you know that early plays can really define a game, or early drives can really define a game. That was a big big break for the Bills, but yeah, you know they had to turn around, go down, and capitalize on that break. They did that, and then the uh, you know the hustle play by by Trent Murphy that that got the ball back. You know, on the very next possession, I mean, you know that that's as big as any play in this ball game. So, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to delve into how it happened, man, because um, the hows of it uh, have me excited in a way that I certainly wasn't the first couple weeks, but in a way that I think we both were early. Uh, you know, in the uh, during camp and stuff like that, they did this with the type of defensive performance that you and I felt like there was a there was a really good chance we would see this team um you know be this year on that side of the ball and I think we were both probably feeling pretty pretty silly about it in weeks one and two but you know I mean you and I were all about this defense yeah. <laughs> during you know during camp and stuff like that man I mean we felt not only would it be like you know a strength of this team we felt it was going to be like a like a top NFL unit and you know, we were feeling way off about it in weeks one and two. Um, but I, I, I assume neither of us are surprised by what we saw in week three because we talked about them being this this kind of unit. So it was it I was agree great about that. I do agree about that. You know, we did spend weeks or even months talking about how good this defense is supposed to be. But I'll tell you what, I am kind of surprised only because they were just so horrifically bad the first two weeks. I don't think Baltimore's offense is that good. Yeah, I like the Chargers' offense, but still, they should have played better. They were so bad the first two weeks that I was starting to lose faith in it already. But I got to say this. You know, like I said, the Bills take the ball. They go down, they score, and that was great. You already brought up Murphy. The defense is just as responsible. Everyone's talking about Josh Allen on Monday, which they should. I mean, goddamn, he's a rookie quarterback, and he, he gave fans hope. Probably says they haven't had since Jim Kelly, but regardless— Later in that quarter, they did create, two, I think it was two straight turnovers. The strip sack by Trent Murphy, and then it might have been the next series. They had another, if not, it was two series later. But the strip sack by Jerry Hughes, who, by the way, played a phenomenal game on Sunday. You know, last week, we said the offense was so bad that it overshadowed how bad the defense played. Well, this week, you know, Josh Allen played so well in that first half that it might overshadow how great the defense played against the Vikings. I have to think Sunday was the best case scenario for how you would envision that defensive line specifically, how how them being. Hughes and Murphy were monsters. And I thought Star Lodale, I'm going to get his name right one of these weeks, by the way. And Kyle Williams. I don't think you have yet. I don't think I have either. One of these weeks I will. And Kyle Williams also had a sack, and I thought he played well too. This is the best case scenario for this defensive line, the way they look Sunday, right? Absolutely. And, you know, for me anyways, Allen's performance did not overshadow the defenses. You know, I I understand that people are excited about Josh Allen, but to me, this win was a, a you know fueled by the defense. And I, you know, the thing I think about in weeks one or two, and yeah, clearly there was uh, there was something more going on than than just you know some some key contributors coming back to full health, whether it be schematically. Or, you know, just getting used to playing with one another, a change in the secondary, who knows. But, you know, Murphy and and Kyle, a a big, big parts of that front line, you know, didn't play much in the preseason due to injury. You know, one one with the hammy and Murphy, you know, one with uh, the knee and, and Kyle. I think we just saw two guys, you know, rounding closer to full strength and how that just you know, affects the every, everyone around them. 
You know, and we I saw, like Murphy we saw a lot. Yeah, I like oh, Murphy man. a lot. I thought he played really well. He started. He showed some flashes. I think against the Chargers the week before too. I think you could see that he's getting healthy, and this is the guy that the Bills envisioned when they signed him. It does make a big difference. It also helps Jerry Hughes out too. Absolutely, man. And look, there was uh, there was a stat today on on Twitter that oh god, it, it was uh, it was Hughes's number of pressures, and and I believe it was the record or very near the record for pressures in a game ever since they started keeping the stats. I mean, it was nuts. It was like a it was it was like double digits for for quarterback pressures. He was he was dominant. Another guy who played really well was Matt Milano. He had a, what do you have? He had an interception. I think he had a force or a fumble recovery. I don't know. I, I don't have the stats in front of me. I don't bother. I don't, because the stats don't necessarily mean a lot to me. I know that he played very well. I think he might've gotten benched for one series. Actually, let me rephrase that. Okay. Cause you brought up a good point last week. My memory is good on that. You said that maybe they're not necessarily benching Milano because of play. Maybe they're just getting him some time off because of his size. You know, like you said, he's an undersized linebacker. So maybe they don't want him out there for every defensive snap. And therefore, Humber's a good guy to have out there for, you know, a limited amount of snaps. But regardless, I thought Matt Milano and Edmonds, and we'll talk about him in a second, but Matt Milano played really good. Remember the first week where we struggled to find an MVP against Baltimore? I, either you or I, one of us gave it to Milano just because everyone else was so terrible. If you take away Josh Allen, you very realistically could make a case that Milano was the game MVP this week. No? He was very good. I mean, I think, you know, uh, we got to throw number 55 in that mix as well. But yeah, Milano add, add a sack as well to, to the other things that you, uh, that you mentioned with the pick and the, and the fumble recovery and, and eight tackles. I mean, and you know, I mean, that doesn't even ac- account for some very good coverages. I can think of one in particular yeah, yep. on a third down to, uh, to Thielen. He was excellent in coverage. I don't know what it is. That uh, that sees that rotation still play out a little bit with uh, with Humber. Although I think we saw a nice play from from Humber, or at least a, a, a hard nosed one where he uh, the tackle on the sideline uh, that put Stefan Diggs out for a for a play or two late in the first half. You know, I mean, a Humber. There's just not a ton of drop off in my mind when when Humber goes out on the field enough so that they can give. Uh, Milano the blow if that's why they're doing it or they can give Milano the um, the reminder that he's got to play a 60-minute game I, I don't know what they're doing when they take him off but the performance this week shows a a, a kid who's maturing a fifth round linebacker who's maturing in a way that however it is the Bills are going about you know turning him into uh, into a professional it's working I like Jermaine Edmonds too. It looked like he learned from some of the mistakes he made in the Chargers game, at least with coverages. I guess you'd have to look at the film, which neither of us are going to do, frankly. All I know is with the naked eye, he looked a hell of a lot faster and a lot smarter than he did against the Chargers. Agreed. I thought he uh, acquitted himself terrifically after, um, you know, getting abused in that Charger game. Again, as guys who don't turn around, you know, and, and watch the film to figure it all out, you know, maybe it's a case where the Bills just protected him a little bit more, you know? Maybe they went with Milano in, in spaces that, you know, went, went previously unoccupied, um, you know, against the Chargers. Who knows? Well, there are people who know. They'll, they'll look at the film and hopefully offer something on that. But whatever it was, probably a combination of both. Probably some lessons learned by the player in Edmonds, and probably some lessons learned in uh, in what they can ask of him to do in coverage, you know, on the part of the Bills coaches who deserve a huge, huge pat on the back for yesterday, man. The coaching was fabulous. Something else, too, and it doesn't take an all-22 genius to know this. When you have a good pass rush, that helps everybody. That helps the secondary. That helps the linebackers in coverage. He wasn't being able to pack a lunch back there. I think Cousins got dropped four times, pressured plenty more times. Whereas Phillip Rivers and Flacco, they, they could have played around a round of golf in the pocket the first two weeks. So I'm sure that has a lot to do with it as well. And speaking of it, one more beneficiary, and then I want to move on to the offense. But I thought Tredavious White did a fantastic job, mainly against Stephon Diggs. Yeah, Trey was my uh, 
team MVP going into the season because I said for lack of uh, just being able to to nail it down to anybody else, I'm just going to go with who I felt is the is the most talented player on the team. I, I hope this team does enough this year to at least give him the sort of recognition that I think he's going to deserve when it's all said and done. Because he is he is shutting somebody down, and that's a change too for uh, you know for McDermott from years past. He would play the zone, um, you know, he would play corners on the on the side, you know, regardless of of the matchup. And um, I think maybe a you know an unintended benefit of being so ordinary, if not below average, at the other corner this year is I think. Trey White should be shadowing the other team's best corner for the rest of his career. Or I'm sorry, the other team's best receiver, you know, for the rest of his career, unless the Bills should happen to put, you know, somebody, uh, you know, somewhat uh, equal to him on the other side. Obviously, they'll be looking in the offseason. That, that position is going to be a position of need. But I don't know that they're going to find anybody good enough to change up what they do with Trey for as long as they've got him for, and that is to just go on the other team's uh, best receiver and call it a day. We'll see if he does it with Gronk, man. That'll be interesting. Let's talk about Josh Allen. Stats were good. First half, I mean, they they ran the ball in the second half. They were just playing keep away. Very smart, intelligent football. The defense was playing so good. Why take any real chances on offense? But that first half, man, he kind of lit shit up. He, he ran for two touchdowns, of course, to leap in the middle of the field. I don't know how I feel about that. That's some crazy-ass shit. It's fun to see the highlights, and it's like, yeah, that's my quarterback, but you don't want him doing that too many times. But that aside, I mean, the guy's stats were good. He had four drops in the first half. I mean, that throw to Foster down, I think it was in in the second quarter down the sidelines was a thing of beauty. He had one bad throw to Foster. He underthrew it badly, and Foster saved the intercept. Or was that Ray Ray McLeod? I can't remember. No, that was that was that was Foster also. That, that was, was Foster also. He saved an interception there. That was probably the one bad throw the kid made the entire game. Thought he played excellent. How much do you buy in based on one game? I don't want to say buy in. How hopeful are you based on just this one game on what this kid could become? It was fun as shit to watch him play this Sunday in a big way. Well, I'm glad you changed it from from buy-in to hopeful because that right. more more defines how I'm feeling today. And I don't think that's true of a lot of people. All right. There are a lot of people ready to buy in after that. And I was going to make a point of saying that I'm not there. I am not to the point of buying in, certainly not fully or even partially. <laughs> I'm I'm hopeful. I'm not as high on the performance as a lot of other people. I, I feel like it had some spectacular play and it had, uh, you know, it had a couple spectacular plays and it clearly had a spectacular result. Other than that, I felt it was just a nice, steady sort of quarterback performance. And I'm also not sure that I wouldn't rather see more steady from him all right, then I would the roller coaster, at least until he starts to realize, you know, what his limitations are and, and what else he can kind of get away with and start playing, you know, the, the, you know, the dynamic sort of plays that I think we saw him do in his first preseason game when they just said, you know, go out there and rip it. And it was, you know, long ball after long ball. So I enjoyed the, uh, um, the steady element of his game. I enjoyed watching him, you know, kind of command the offense. I know it sounds, you know, trivial, but when McDermott talks about, you know, the play clock and stuff like that, I believe in that shit. I, I you know, to me, he does, that is a plus for him. He d- doesn't seem rattled, you know, coming out of huddles and, and stuff like that. And I, I just liked it. I, I like his football IQ. And that's a surprise for me because a lot of times, you know, the, when you have a guy where the narrative is he doesn't read blitz as well or he can't see the blitz coming and stuff like that, you would expect his football IQ to kind of suck too. This kid's doesn't. He's got a pretty good football IQ, like reaching for the pylon, knowing that all you've got to do is touch ball to pylon 
and and you're good to go, even if that ball goes flying, that's a risk a lot of other quarterbacks won't take because they think they you know that they've got to uh, possess the ball all the way through the pylon. He knew well enough that the minute he touched it, he had a score. That's a high football IQ, and I was happy to see that. There's two things about him. I don't care so much about the stats. It was just the Bills' day on every level. So the stats don't mean a lot. I mean, the plays mean a lot. But there's two things about him that I really like. Number one, I like the rah-rah enthusiasm that the kid brings, that leadership. I'm good with that. Jim Kelly was like that. You know, right now he's probably a little hesitant to get in someone's face when when they fuck up out there. That's going to change as he gets more comfortable being the quarterback and leader of this team. But I love him on the sidelines, you know, being enthusiastic, getting in teammates' faces, trying to get them fired up. So I'm a big fan of that. I love that about him. And here's the other thing. Honestly, I did not know how athletic this kid really is. He's a good athlete, man. He's not just, you know, we kept hearing how strong his arm is. And he could throw the ball 80 yards. And he could be the next Kyle Bowler who was a bust. Because, you know, he's a strong arm or nothing else. Well, I'll tell you what, man. This kid is a fabulous athlete. And he reminds me a lot. And I know people like to, you know, compare black quarterback to black quarterback because they're such good athletes in general. But you know what? Josh Allen reminds me an awful lot of Cam Newton. Kid can run. He's got a big body. He's strong. He's athletic. He's got a great arm. Obviously, he still has some accuracy issues, and he might have that for his entire career. Yeah, that's definitely the quarterback that um, that comes to mind. And he it was a, it was a comparison that was made in during the uh, maybe not the draft process, but certainly when you talked about Bean and McDermott. You know, the comparison to Newton was made because of how much time Bean spent um, scouting Newton. And they do have very similar builds, you know, uh, I didn't huge buy arms. I didn't buy it at the time. I had no idea what an athlete this kid was. What about Shady? People are going to be talking about that this week, I'm sure. He didn't play with bad ribs. I mean, the offensive running game was by no means great. But you know what? It was it was okay. Ivory had a big play in the passing game. So, is the Bill, do you think the Bills running game, or maybe even the whole offense, period, might be better without LaShawn McCoy? And I say that because of the offensive line for the record. LaShawn McCoy is arguably the most talented player on the football team. So let's not take that away from him. But based on this offense that the Bulls running and the offensive line the way it is, he's quick, hit the holes quick, don't mess around. Guys who can run through tackles, someone like Ivory. Do you think this offense might actually be a little bit better off without Shady right now? Yeah, bro. I tweeted it just before kickoff and it got like six likes. You know, six? that's a that's a big number for a guy with <laughs> only is. like 160 followers. But yeah, I I, I did. I, I don't know if you, you know, didn't see it or whatever. Or maybe, you know, you're just you're just biting my shit. Um but no, it's <laughs> I, I did feel that way. I felt like the Bills rushing attack anyways. I'm looking it up um, right now. I'm confirming that you actually tweeted this shit. Oh, yep, you did. And yeah, you tweeted, absolutely. well, you know what? You tweeted it before the game. So you had no fucking idea if you were right or not. You tweeted that shit before the game. Yeah, which makes it even better. All right, regardless of your quote-unquote genius tweet here, Chris Ivory runs through blocker tackles better than McCoy, although he's not as close to being as talented as him. Given this offense, you feel like, especially after watching this game, that, hey, take your time getting back. You think they'll be fine without you? Yeah, I am saying that, and I might be saying more. You'll just have to stay tuned for the puck drop. Solid teaser, man. Well done. Did you have a, you know, I'm looking at your Twitter right now. Did you bitch about the punter? Yeah, I did. Why? I don't know if you remember, but we were backed up inside our 20, and he had a punt that only went to, like, the 50. Remember the punt that, like, kind of late? Late in the game, Diggs muffed it, but we couldn't get the recovery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. All right. You're you're kicking, um, I, I want to say from about it was about maybe our 15. And, you know, you're only getting it to the 50 yard line. I was I was trying to preserve a shutout right there. All <laughs> right. And I and I got a I got a punter, you know, with a 35 yard kick. And look, more punts than not with this kid. I've watched the returner have to like run up on more than anything. I, I yeah, I, I had a punter bitch. I, I think I think that's a ter- it's a terrible tweet and a terrible take. Terrible tweets. Tell me I did not 
just see that. I think you're so focused on the offense and defense. Dude, he had six punts. Five of them were inside the 20. What the fuck more yeah, do you I, want from him? That's a bad tweet, dude. Just it was it. before. It, look, a lot of those inside the 20 came after that. This this may have been in the third quarter. It was a bad kick. He's had a lot of bad kicks in terms of, you know, the leg and getting us out of the shadow of our own, you know, our own side of the field. And I had a I had a punter pitch. Big deal. All right. Let's wrap up the Bills portion in this segment. I assumed when we did MVP, LVP, like we've been doing every week, that Josh Allen was going to be a lock to be your MVP. But based on what you said earlier, now I'm not so sure. So tell me, when it comes to MVP, who you got? Is it Josh Allen? He's not, man. Uh, my MVP is is Jerry Hughes. To me, this game, you know, was was more about the defense. You know, the 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 big picture story is Allen looking like he belonged. But the story of of how the Bills got it done and uh, how dominant they were, that goes to the defensive side of the ball, and nobody was more dominant than number 55. What about the other side of the coin? Who's your game Bills LVP? Fucking uh, Joe Baroquez, whatever the fuck. Corey. <laughs> a punter, a punter, a punter who puts five of his six punts inside the 20s, your LVP. <laughs> Let me say this because I know who yours is. <laughs> I know who yours is going to be, and I'm and I know. Well, I'm, I don't want to say I know, but um, I have a feeling who yours might be, and a lot of other people's was. And I felt like I, there was some redemption for me with Calvin Benjamin, you know, in the second half of the game after the early drops, couple back shoulder throws that uh, that he made the catch on. Uh, I hated his effort on the. Uh, on the onside kick to end the game, it was it was really deplorable. Actually, the effort, but uh, he made some catches, and 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 the fact that Josh kept going back to him, I think he's going to need to have you know a relationship there with that player. So as as much as he's probably getting LVPs across the uh, you know blogging and podcasting area today, that's why he doesn't get mine. A little bit of redemption uh, in the second half. I. If you thought I was going to pick Benjamin, you'd be wrong. And that's only because I'm to a point now, I don't expect him to play well. I just don't. And by the way, he was limping at one point. He's not going to last long, dude. He's not. I don't expect your Is your LVP Philip Barocas too? No, it's Corey for fucking starters. And no, it's not. You know what my LVP is? You're going to say, what? When I tell you this, but I'm pretty confident because I was paying attention to the offensive line a ton. When I go back, and I will watch that All-22 this week. I scan my way in to get in a free account for that, by the way. But when I go back and I watch this, I have a feeling that Deion Dawkins was horrible. And I say him because he's the one guy on that line that I expect to play well. I expect him to be very good. And from what I saw a couple times where I was keyed in on him, he was getting blown away. I know he gave up at least one sack for sure. He missed a lot of blocks. He just didn't play well. I think it's probably surprising for you to hear, but I think later on, I'll put some clips up on Twitter Tuesday or Wednesday. I think you're going to see that he did not play well at all. All right. You know, I'm still with mine. One more thing, too, about the Bills. And I just, but right before we started taking I need your MVP, too. My MVP is Josh Allen. All right. Dude. He played well against a really good team. You know what? If he comes out, I'll tell you what. Don't get me wrong. I agree with what you said about Hughes in the defense. I thought Jerry Hughes was incredible. You can also make a case for Milano or Murphy. Not all three of them played amazing. Actually, Trey White too. So let's make it all four of them. But at the end of the day, I think if Josh Allen comes out there and he's not playing well, he throws an ugly early interception because he's under pressure, loses a ball and a turnover, which he almost did at one point in the third quarter. I just remember that now. But if he gets off to a bad start, this is a whole new ball game. Minnesota's defense digs in. You know, it it doesn't get away from them before they know knew what hit them. Like you said, they kind of sleptwalked through that first half until it was too late to do anything about it. If he comes out and he doesn't play well early, that easily could have been a different story. So for that reason, he's my MVP. I want to share with you a tweet right before we started taping here. I'm going to read it. It's from Joe Banner, who was the former CEO of the Browns, and he was a fucking complete disaster in that role. But he is pretty smart, at least on Twitter. Let me know if you agree with this, okay? He said this. Tell me what you think of it, all right? He says, 
Vontae Davis gone, the Bills win. Eric Flowers gets benched, the Giants win. Josh Gordon gets traded, and the Browns win. Coincidence? Maybe, maybe not. Organizations that back up words with actions have a better chance. What's your thought on that? I'm with it. I, I think, you know, trying to uh, make that point based upon three isolated incidents within the same week, I don't know is the best way to make that point. I think, you know, it, it, it'd be easier to poke holes in that um, as coincidence than if you took an actual organization's that same organization's decisions over a period of time. But, you know, I mean, I tweeted something like that yesterday as, as well, or I, I may have tweeted it like at uh, Mike Shope of, of WGR because that he he's, and uh, there's a lot of guys like this. They don't believe in the culture thing. They don't buy into the culture thing at all. It's, it's all about players. I felt like the bill's performance yesterday was really uh, you know, a display of a group of guys that had a belief that nobody else had. All right. And I believe it's a belief that Bonte Davis didn't have. I believe it's a belief that Jeremy Curley didn't have. I think that's why Curley eventually, uh, you know, om- almost dictated his, uh, his release. And kind of surprisingly, I, I don't, I haven't heard his name come up as a replacement, uh, you know, uh, to, to resign. Me neither. And I look some, too. Yeah, something something might be up there. Like something could be coming on him that uh, that the rest of the league, you know, and the Bills know. Um, but I think you know, look, they they got rid of malcontents in their room, or one of them left on his own. They got rid of guys that didn't buy in, and they sure as shit looked like fifty three dudes who buy in yesterday because without believing in uh, that you're capable of doing that. You ain't, you ain't, you ain't going to do that. You ain't going to do what they did yesterday. All right. Unless you believe that it's possible. And if you've got guys like Davis, Coleman, Curley, whoever, all right, who may be more talented than other guys on your roster. But if you got guys that don't believe that yesterday was possible, then maybe we learned a little something about what sending them on their way, you know, could potentially do for you. I want to go on the NFL real quick, bang out a couple things. Then we'll move on. The Patriots, they lose lopsidedly in Detroit. And by the way, I call that on Twitter since you keep bragging about your tweets. Saturday night, I said as an upset, I picked the Lions to win. And I did that a full 24 hours before. So you're welcome. Anyway, I've watched- You got some Sully love on there. You see that, I, I imagine, correct? Of course. <laughs> That's a fucking stupid question. But seriously, listen, I've watched New England play the last two games and they haven't just lost. They've been dominated both times and the lions suck. I mean that they're just not a good team. I think that Patriot empire, man, it might be starting to crumble. I know they've started slow before and they bounced back, but man, I'm telling you, this team just does not impress me. It feels to me. And maybe this is an overreaction. You tell me if it's, if, if I'm wrong here, feels like a team that's pretty much at the end of the road here. They remind me of the 96 bills. Let's put it that way. Oh, well, I don't know, man. The 96 Bills were shit. The 95 Bills. The 96 Bills? Oh, it was a 95. My bad. You're right. The 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 year Jim got carted off. The Empire crumbled that year. You're right. And then they moved over to Ty Collins the next year. Yeah, the 95 Bills. My bad. Whatever. That's the team that they were starting to remind me of. I just, I'm not impressed. They're not, they don't seem to me like a team full of good players that's just not playing well early. It just seemed like they don't got a hell of a lot after Tom Brady. They took a big chance in trading Brandon Cooks. Yeah. I can't remember the sequence of events. I, I, I can't remember if Edelman's suspension came before or after it. You know, it's, it was, it's almost like the wood thing with the Bills, you know, that unexpected departure that you simply don't have time to overcome. And, um, you know, that, that may have been the case with them. And uh, we'll see where they are in a couple weeks. You know, they, they're hosting a, a, a paper champion this week in the 3-0 and Dolphins. Uh, one more week, I think, without Edelman. Um, I would expect them at being at home to, to beat the Dolphins and still get the 2-2. Two and two. And then, you know, when 
when uh, when Brady has his full arsenal and uh, Josh Gordon's got a couple weeks under his belt and and now instead of rolling out, you know, Hogan, God, I don't even know, Hogan, Dorsett, and, you know, Matthew Slater or something, you're rolling out Edelman, Gordon, and and Hogan. Boy, that's a, that's, that's a different-looking um, set of skill position players. When we did our predictions, if you remember my quote-unquote bold prediction, I said New England's going to win the division because the rest of the division stinks. I still believe that. I don't care what Miami's record is. We'll get to them in a second. But I also said that they're going to win the division, but they're going to get beat handily in the first round of the playoffs or the divisional round, and that's going to be the end of them. I still feel that way, man. I just do. And one of the reasons why is because of Patrick Mahomes. Dude's thrown 13 touchdown passes in, what, three games? That's an NFL record. The Chiefs are 3-0. They're killing everybody. And with Jacksonville looking so shitty Sunday against the Titans, I think, in my opinion, the Chiefs may very well be the class of the AFC right now. Are you buying the Chiefs as an AFC favorite? Absolutely. I'd see they're no reason good, not to. Yeah, they're a juggernaut. That's the kind of team that I could just see slap in New England. Especially, you know, at, at, at Arrowhead. But I don't know if it, if it even matters because, you know, they went into Pittsburgh and, and, and got the W there. So, you know, you got teams in the South now that were looking to, to, to contend, like Houston, who are starting 0-3. You know, the Chargers. I think the Chargers will still uh, be heard from, you know, despite the – despite the one and two start. Yeah, they do this every year, man. They start out so slow and then they come on in the second half, the chargers I'm talking about. Yeah. I, you know, I think they'll still, still be heard from, but, and new England will still, you know, <laughs> they'll, they'll, they're not done making, making some noise, but yeah. I mean, what, what Mahomes is doing is crazy. What about the dolphins? I mean, nothing, I, nothing. That doesn't matter to me. Yeah, I don't care. I mean, yeah, they beat the Titans, I, the jets, the Raiders. They have three and dude, three and oh, three and oh. You're not a believer in them whatsoever. No, insert Jay Cutler smoking cigarette fucking meme right here. Okay. I I don't care about the three and oh Miami Dolphins. They'll win eight games. <laughs> One more thing, and you already touched on them. There's only three teams in the NFL that are 0 and 3, and the Houston Texans are one of them. That to me is unbelievable. Should I start maybe buying some stock in the Bill O'Brien being the first NFL coach to get fired this year, sweepstakes. I don't know how that team, as good as they are, with Deshaun Watson back in healthy, how they're 0-3 right now. Yeah, I would say I would say O'Brien will will end up on the hot seat if that continues. But, you know, I, I also think that it's it's possible that, you know, Deshaun Watson is going the the route of of Dak Prescott, you know, with the solid first year and somewhat limited action. Although, I mean, you know, Prescott's numbers weren't as, as insane as, as Watson's were, but you know, it's just, I, I, I questioned whether or not Watson's, you know, performance was sustainable and not, you know, in terms of the, the statistical trajectory, like he wasn't going to average four touchdowns a game or whatever the hell he was throwing. I just felt like the defense might catch up to him. Uh, or defenses might catch up to him. So far at 0-3, it, it, it looks like that's a possibility. Tiger Woods wins the Tour Championship by two shots. I can't believe how, I'll, I'll say it, how emotional I got over it. I thought it was one of the best moments in sports I've seen in a long, long time. What's your take? I wanted to. I, I wanted to get invested in it. Uh, you know, I, I texted you or messaged you a couple times trying to figure out what, what station it was on, when he was teeing off, that sort of thing. But when push comes to shove, it's got to be a major. It's just everything revolves around the four majors in my golf world. I invest enormously in the majors. Okay. I, I break family plans. I lie about, you know, play things that I, I can and can't do so that I can watch the majors. <laughs> all right. But I, and I know there's other golf tournaments out there that, you know, that, that the, you know, the, the fan community very much gets into, you know, it's got the same sort of, uh, energy as a major. And, and, and I know that this, you know, this closing event is is like that. I don't even know. See, see, I'm calling it the, its closing event because I don't even know what the fuck it's called. It's a tour Look. championship. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I hear you, man. Is it one of the four majors? No, it's not. 
All right. It's the, you know, it's the, it maybe it's the unofficial I'll check, fifth check member. It, okay. Well, check in with all me the in players April. Open. I don't check agree with, with you me in all. April. I don't agree I, with you. I, I, I know you, most people don't. It was, it led sports. Center. I hear you. I get it. Well, considering the fact that it looked like for a long time, it looked like this guy might never make a cut again about a year and a half ago. You know what I mean? For him to come back and win. And it was a significant event. He almost won the FedEx cup, by the way, he lost it by one shot because Justin Rose, Two putted for birdie on 18, which by the way, I don't know if you saw it, but he hit an approach on 18. It got so lucky. The ball bounced up straight in the air and ended up on the green and rolled about 10 feet on the green. That ball doesn't take that bounce. He might not get up and down. And now you're talking Tiger Woods, not just winning the tour championship, but also winning the FedEx cup and $10 million. Forget the major talk. Okay. Or if I think it's a big deal that he won a non-major. Here's one thing I think we could both agree on. Going into 2019, long as he doesn't have no physical setbacks, Tiger Woods is fucking back. Yeah, it'll be the most hyped Masters ever. I mean, yes, it with with him officially He's the being He's back. He's betting favorite right yeah, now. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that with him officially being back. You know, uh, amongst the you know the top tier of golfers, winning winning a big event. Yeah, man, it it, it makes the build up to the Masters that much more fun and uh and i will be invested <laughs> i can i can promise you that mike greenberg from espn i saw it this morning he said it best he said it felt like 1990s michael jordan not just coming back but coming back and playing like he did in the 90s that's how big of a deal i think it is oh and one other thing too i haven't even mentioned him rory mcelroy in the final group with him three back going in very much in it he fucking wilted he wilted so did Justin Rose. He wilted as well. It was old school Tiger. Not just Tiger playing well, but guys who are right there just melting under that pressure where the moment got too big for him. That was a throwback. That's why I think it's such a big deal. Well, I'm glad you had fun with it. I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people did. I've I'm looking ahead. What about the UB Bulls? Four and oh. They go to Rutgers and they kick the shit out of them. What was it? 41 13. They play Army. Army just took Oklahoma to OT. The game's in Buffalo. Are you pretty hyped for that game? An opportunity to go five and zero. The UB Bulls. Yeah, I think uh, I think what's happening there this year I, because it's just it's it's just not usually sustainable in the MAC, whether it be basketball or football. There's just there's so many ebbs and flows, you know, to uh, um, to those programs, you know. Um, and, and no, nobody ever really just jumps out and becomes the elite program, you know, and maybe moves on to another conference or something like that. So you really have to soak in the moment in a season like this, cause you never know when you're going to get it again. Let's touch on the Sabres. It's a little too early to look too much into anything with the preseason. We're taping this midday Monday. Sabres have played four games. They've split them. Sam Reinhardt's back. That's news. Alex Nylander's off to a pretty good start. That may become big news. I mean, I'm sure you feel like me and you're not all in with the Sabres quite yet. You know, with the NFL season so young and everything. But do you got any uh, early preseason Sabre thoughts going on right now? And I should mention one other thing too. Sherry's out and he'll be out for a while. I don't know how that's going to affect the lineup when he does return. But what are your thoughts right now based on what you've seen and read and heard over the past, say, first 10 days of Sabres camp and preseason? Well, I am getting into it, you know, probably in large part to having bought NHL for PlayStation and I can't put the thing down right now. <laughs> I've um, actually watched two of these games the preseason, which for me is very rare. Yeah, no, I'm into it, man. I am. I, and I do have uh, what I think would would be considered a, a, you know, a hot take, if you will. I think the, the Sabres are going to have to give some serious consideration to starting Casey Middlestat in Rochester. He has not looked, uh, you know, like the like the player who had a uh, a short stay here last year after leaving college early. I'm sure it would be bad public relations. I'm sure, you know, it would leave a lot of people scratching their head on the Ryan O'Reilly trade. But, you know, there are guys that are playing better right now that are, you, you know, veteran NHLers who can play the center position and probably deserve the spot. And Middlestat has done nothing to earn it. This would be a case. Uh, you know, there's three games left in, in the in the preseason. I've been 
you know, I've been working over Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News the last couple days on Twitter to uh, to try to see if he thinks the Sabres, you know, are capable of making that sort of decision. And he reminded me that there's there's a few games uh, left of this preseason. But unless something changes drastically, Casey Middlestad would will not have earned his spot on the uh, opening night roster if he's granted it. And I think it's highly questionable. And he was skating with two AHLers today. Okay. I think there's a chance he starts the season in Rochester and that will be big news. That would be big news. Let's do something briefly that we never do on this podcast anymore. Let's talk a little bit of baseball. Cause there's a couple things that really have stood out to me over the past week. One of them, honestly, I didn't even realize it. And that's the Atlanta Braves won the NL East earlier last week. I legitimately, like I said, I didn't have any idea that they were about to win a division. You know, I, I, I haven't followed teams enough over the past few months. And for me, this is one of the more quietly underrated MLB division winners that I can remember in recent years. Everyone was in, including me, on Washington or maybe the Phillies back in March. But yet it's the Braves that have won the NL East. Are you stunned about the Braves going to the postseason? I bet most semi-casual fans probably can't even name four or five players on that team. I could name quite. I, I think I could name the whole roster. Look, I was. Um, well, it ain't about you. I was, yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, and now my point being, I was I was on the Braves early, not because I uh, believed that they were capable of this, but because I had the Phillies in a pool, you know, and I and I always I'm always you know, following um, Mike Shope of, of WGR's uh, tweets. And he had the Braves. I think he had the over um, on Braves wins this year. I don't know if he had them to win the division. But, you know, he was talking Braves from the very beginning of the season. And I had Freddie Freeman and um, uh, Albies in, in one of my pools. I had Freddie Freeman in both of both pools and, uh, and Albies in one. So I, you know, I was watching the Braves and, and they just, they had a nice steady season and then Acuna came up and that was it, man. It, it was once, you know, they were, they were there, they were neck and neck with the Phils, neck and neck with the Phils. And then Acuna came up and just put that team into a, you know, into a category uh, all of its own. And quite frankly, oh man, as, as good a chance as, as any team uh, if they get the pitching, you know, if if they get someone behind Fulton Weiss, that Acuna, Elby's Freeman, one, two, three is as good as any one, two, three in baseball right now. It's better. It's better than any one, two, three in baseball. And conversely, the Angels, five games under 500. They lost. They're five games under 500, and they're buried 22 and a half games in their division. Mike Trout's hitting 316. Dude's got 38 home runs, 24 steals, 98 runs. He's clearly the best player in baseball. He's been the best player in baseball for at least the last five or six years. I don't think anyone could debate that to you is Mike Trout. One of, if not the greatest waste of talent in all of sports, if not at least baseball, I mean, he's he's like approaching like legend status, but he's just rotting away with the angels who just suck. He's still young enough to where it's temporary, but if, if it continues at this pace, then yes, it, it will have been a, a travesty, you know, that we haven't seen him uh, play very much meaningful baseball. But, you know, I, I mean, there's still, he, he hasn't gotten that what might end up being uh, about a half a billion dollar contract. He hasn't gotten that big boy yet. You know, he's only on the, uh, he's only on the bridge deal right now, like through maybe age 27 or something like that. And if this continues, he'll be able to he'll, he'll be able to make that choice uh, so that it, it doesn't become, you, you know, a, a career worth of of wasted talent. I want to do a new segment calling it Pat's top 10. You know this already. Nobody freaking loves making top 10 lists more than I do. It's literally one of my favorite hobbies. I do it for everything. So each time during Pat with Pucks, I'm going to drop a Pat's top 10 on something and then I'll get your take and feedback after. I get all the glory. You get to play armchair quarterback. And again, it's going to be random things. It doesn't have to be about sports. In fact, it isn't about sports this week. Today's Pat's top 10 is going to be top 10 Elton John songs in honor of you seeing that whack-ass dude in concert in Buffalo last week. <laughs> You're so wrong. <laughs> I got to be honest, man. 
I had a hard time coming up with 10 songs, but I'm going to give them to you. And then you let me know afterwards what you think. All right. And people out there listening, if you want to tweet at me at Pamoran Tweets or at Tone Pucks, give me your feedback as well. I'll start. We'll go 10 and work our way up. 10. I got Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Nine. Between a Father and His Sons. That's a sad ass song about that kid who had AIDS. Remember that video? That shit was fucked up, man. Was that is that the name of the song? Yeah. I think it is anyway. Eight. Sorry seems to be the hardest word. That's kind of my jam. Seven. Daniel. Six, I'm Still Standing, mainly just because that reminds me of the 80s growing up. Loved that song in the 80s. It kind of got me fired up. Five, Philadelphia Freedom. Four, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. That's the non-George Michael version. That's just Elton Solo. I like that song. Three, Candle in the Wind, Marilyn Monroe Dedication. Of course, I love that. Two, Your Song, like that a lot. And number one, I got Rocket Man. I've always liked that. Plus, it ties into Californication, which is one of my favorite TV shows ever. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Tiny Dancer, dude. Not a big did fan. You, have you ever seen Almost Famous? I did. Not a big fan. Yeah, the, the scene where they start singing Tiny Dancer on the bus, on the bus yeah. is one of the most fucking epic scenes in the history of motion pictures. There's, I've yet to meet anyone who doesn't have some sort of story about how that scene moves them. This is, this, this, this may actually trump your lack of Seinfeld knowledge or not having ever watched or gotten into Seinfeld. That's how, that's how terrible that now, now, now look, I'm, I'm happy to see your song in there. Did you leave out crocodile rock? Did you I, say? I didn't leave it out. I, I didn't leave it out by accident. I intentionally left that shit out. I hate that song. No Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Like his entire farewell nope. tour is is based upon that song. Yep, it, I don't it, have it on the, there. The, 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 the concert ends with that song and he like leaves on a lift that goes up into the fucking screen. I mean, it's just mad disrespect from a guy who honestly beyond Michael Jackson, all right, uh, offers no musical knowledge or, (laughs) you know, insight worth ever listening to. The fact that you went like 100 songs, didn't you, didn't you do that? Yeah. 80s from the 80s. And we're going to do, there's going to come a day on this podcast where we go through all 100 of them as well. So, yeah, I did. <laughs> it was still that was so bad. I mean, yeah, this this top ten should come as no surprise because that those those one hundred songs that you had were awful. Like I'll hear a song sometimes and I'll think to myself, if he didn't fucking have this on his top one hundred, he just doesn't know what he's doing. And it just it, it just it's evidenced by today's top ten. Hopefully you you're better next time. That's hurtful, man. That's hurtful. Yeah. What's your puck drop? Give it to me. Look, man, I, I hate to uh, rain on on anyone's parade as it relates to the Buffalo Bills. There's a lot of stuff to be happy about today and maybe even, you know, a season that uh, that can turn around. And, and certainly the, the 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 face of the franchise, you know, maybe someone that we can get behind for a very long time. But for the last couple of years, one of the faces of the franchise has been a guy who it has gotten to the point for me anyways. And, and I think it would be disappointing if others are not getting to this point as well. But the news surrounding LaShawn McCoy this past week, and, you know, even before that, when coupled with some of the other things that we've known to be true through the years, it's just getting to a point where rooting for this guy has become increasingly difficult And I just don't know as 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 a city and as, you know, uh, a community that wants to get behind what Sean McDermott is doing, that we want to be associated with getting behind uh, a person, a human being, you know, the caliber of LaShawn McCoy. There are just far too many signs pointing to um, some truth to the allegations against him. 
And, you know, man, I mean, let's just let's just say half of them are true. These are these are some disgusting. okay, um, accusations being made from the abuse of animals, you know, the abuse of dogs to the abuse of his kid, you know, to a hired potential home invasion and and hit on uh, on on a woman and and an uh, ex-girlfriend, you know. And then the things that we've known in the past to be true, you know, the the, the females only uh, crews where they're they're asked to or made to sign a uh, a confidentiality agreement, you know, the uh, the the bar fight, the uh, the the bullshit tip that he left one time or something like. I mean, just look, man, this just doesn't sound like a, a, a the sort of person worth rooting for. And if if the Bills proved that they can get by without him and there's m- much more, you know, smoke to, to this fire in the coming weeks, I would prefer that uh, that this football team try to get by without him. There's too much smoke for there not to at least be a little bit of fire and even a little bit of fire when it comes to stuff like that. It's just too much. There's my pet peeve of the week, and this is completely unrelated and far less serious, but. I am sick to death of people talking about how good Florida is because of the weather. It it can't possibly be less true. As someone who lived in Buffalo for most of my life, dude, and as a kid who plays football, played eight years of Little Loop football, and then that came down to Florida where he's playing high school football, I used to complain about the weather all the time, about it being so fucking cold, that it's too windy, it's raining, it's just generally, it's just freezing, it's snowing, whatever have you. You know what happened during those eight years where my kid played in Buffalo? He fucking played every week. The weather, no matter what it was, never prevented them from playing football. That shit happens here all the time in the summer. The Florida summers, albeit different, are just as extreme as the Buffalo winters. It is so disgustingly hot during the day, and then it turns every day into rain, which is fine, but then it comes lightning and thunder, which just puts a wreckage on football games. My son's played four football games this year, okay? One game, he played all four quarters. Another game, it was a lightning delay for two hours before they even took a field. The third game, it started lightning at halftime. It got close enough that they used a running clock in the second half so they can get the game in. And then just this past week, his fourth game, At halftime, a terrible lightning storm came in and completely postponed the entire thing. Four games he's played, one time he's been able to play all four quarters without any interruption. And that's just the way it is down here. It happens all the time. So anyone up there in Buffalo who's complaining about being cold in the winter, who thinks that Florida is so amazing when it comes to weather, maybe it is in the winter, but the Florida summer is every single bit as bad as the Buffalo winter and if you have a child who likes to play fall sports or if you're playing fall sports yourself, it's even worse. That would that would get to me as well, my friend. Yeah. Come on back, man. Come on back, dude. You know, we don't get we don't get many of those. Where was he going to like if he hadn't gone, you know, to a Catholic school? Because I'm, I'm sure the offers were going to be there. Which West Seneca was he in? East or West? West. West. Oh, state, state champion. They're West. filthy, dude. They're filthy. And and even without Myers, they're number one again this year. Yeah, they're really good. All right. So my shout out goes to former Buffalo Sabres and NHL star Brian Gianta. He officially retired Monday afternoon in a press conference at the arena in Buffalo. I personally thought the guy retired like two years ago, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I did. He's played in over a thousand games over 16 years. Scored nearly 300 goals at close to 600 points. He was a captain in New Jersey, Montreal, and of course, Buffalo. Great player, great guy for the sport, great ambassador. So, yeah, huge shout out to Brian Gianta. You got anyone you want to give a shout out to? Nah. Dynamite drop in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks again to Tone Pucks for coming on like he does every Tuesday. Pat with Pucks. A lot of fun. Certainly a different vibe on the podcast this week. It's always fun to break down a Buffalo Bills win, especially when they go out and beat a team that no one thought they were going to, including us, obviously. But you know what? You had the Bills win. UB's 4-0 for the first time in God knows how long. Tiger Woods wins. 
the Patriots lose. Just a great, amazing sports weekend. Loved it, loved it, loved it. If you haven't done so already, please go to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. I say it every single week. I'm going to say it again. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. You just go. You hit that subscribe button. Bam. All new episodes automatically get sent right to your phone or to your laptop. You can play them, keep them, or you can play them and delete them after if it's clogging up the memory on your phone. If you don't have iTunes and Apple Podcasts, you can also catch us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Got a lot of stuff going on during the week. We'll be back with another show Friday. I'm sure I'll have a guest for you. Don't know quite who it's going to be yet, but it'll be a good one. Don't you worry about that. Have a nice, safe week. Talk to you guys soon. That's it.